this feels like one of the biggest scenes Texas is going to have for, or at least has had in quite a while. Yeah, 2019 LSU earlier this year against Alabama, but this game right here with a top four team that's really given you a lot of fits the last handful of years, top four team at your place, and it's at night. Remember, the Bama game was at 11 o'clock. Now you have a full day of festivities to lead up towards putting your best foot forward as a fan base. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is November 11th. We are just a few weeks away from crowning some conference championships. We're only one week removed from having one of the best Saturdays in recent memory. How do we follow last week? Uh, I think that we're all going to have a difficult time trying to follow the excitement that November 5th provided us, whether it was LSU's win over Alabama, was it whether it was Bama and Clemson losing on the same day, uh, the defending champion in Georgia dominating another top five foe, another number one team, technically, if you want to get down to it. The score that SMU had against Houston, scoring like a billion points. You got UCLA, who also put it up big time. You have all kinds of excitement. You had Liberty knocking off Arkansas. I mean, last week, shoot, we even saw UConn get to within a win of being bowl eligible. So, like, we, last week had it all, okay? How do we follow that performance? I think it's going to be tough, but I think there's some matchups that could provide some intrigue. We're going to get to a bunch of them here today, including TCU-Texas. Probably haven't seen it broken down with as much detail as you're going to get right here on this program. Also going to dive into the possible hangover effect that some of these teams might face. You probably know who you are. Winning or losing, by the way, hangovers are created both winning and losing. So we're going to get to some hangover games, the possibility there. We're also going to hit a couple games on the West Coast that could have some playoff implications. And there are a bunch of really, really good teams this week that are playing massive underdogs, including one in which the spread is a cool 40 points. We're going to talk about all those games. We're going to get into it. So let's not waste any time. Let's dive in. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all those bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business, no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. All right, let's head down to the 40 acre and talk quickly and when I say quickly, you know how my breakdowns have a tendency to get a little long-winded. This one might as well. I'm very, very excited about this game. The Texas Christian Horn Frogs will travel to Austin to take on the University of Texas. All right, it's awesome. Love this game so much. All right, not only because game day's there, that's going to be terrific, set the scene. But as someone that's been very fond of the Texas program for a very long time, this feels like one of the biggest scenes Texas is going to have. For or at least has had in quite a while. Yeah, 2019 LSU earlier this year against Alabama. But this game right here with a top four team that's really given you a lot of fits the last handful of years, 
top four team at your place and it's at night. Remember the Bama game was at 11 o'clock. Now you have a full day of festivities to lead up towards putting your best foot forward as a fan base. Let's talk about how this game could play out on the field. The comeback kids. That's who TCU is. Okay. They have overcome a second half deficit four times this year. 4-0 and this season when trailing in the second half. You know how remarkable that is? Well, it's the best record in the FBS. Okay, No one else in college football is better when trailing in the second half. In the last 15 seasons, okay, 15 years, it's a long time. Dating back to when I was playing. Okay, I was a freshman, but either way. Last 15 years, only two teams have gone 4-0 and or better in an entire season when trailing at some point in the second half. One won the national championship. That was 2010 Auburn. Okay, the other... Also went undefeated. That was 2012 Ohio State. Remember that 2012 Ohio State team? They were ineligible for the postseason. So if tendencies are anything, history would tell you that TCU is heading towards a really special year given how they've been able to find ways into games, finding ways back into games and ultimately winning the games. They're even with adversity in the second half. The other thing, and you hate to hear this if you're a Texas Longhorn fan, I don't need to tell you, Texas has really struggled in the second half of football games. Do you realize that in the last three games, they've scored one touchdown in the second half? One. It's crazy when you think about it because they've played pretty well. I mean, yeah, they've lost a game in that run, but they've played pretty well under the circumstances. And Texas has been one of those teams that just even dating back to last year, Second halves just haven't been quite as good as the first. That's been a huge point of emphasis for the staff. That's been a huge point of emphasis from Steve Sarkeesian. Man, finish, finish, finish. And really, he's prioritized the third quarter even more so than the fourth quarter like most programs do. But they have blown 14-point lead since the start of last season. They've blown that, blown that lead four times. Okay, That's tied for the most in the FBS in that span dating back to last year, okay? We all know how TCU has been climbing back into these games, partly because of their offense, more on them in a minute, but y'all, their defense specifically has been so much better from one half to the next. TCU in the first half giving up about 214 yards a game. Well, in the second half, just 180. Their interceptions created defensively. They've picked off two, ha- two passes in the first half, eight in the second half, And then their third down conversion percentage, 42% in the first half, 35% in the second half. Nobody talks about TCU's defense. It's a solid group. They're very athletic. They're a little disruptive. And like I said, from one half to the next, they're a completely different animal. But when we talk about TCU, we're going to spend most of our time talking about the passing attack. They've been a big play machine. It's probably the best attribute of this offense. They want to take shots downfield. Max Duggan, talented wide receivers. They want to take shots downfield and they are not shy. doesn't matter the down and distance. They don't really have a shot play tendency. It could be second and 12 and they're going to throw it downfield. It could be third and one and they're going to throw it downfield. They don't care. If they get a matchup that they like and there's no safety help over the top, guess what? Let's ride. Okay, so you need to be very, very careful when it comes to giving up big plays because the TCU Horn Frogs have 15 plays of at least 50 yards this season. They're not all throwing it, by the way. They have a few runs as well. That's the most in the FBS. 
It's the most by an FBS team through nine games of the season since Memphis and Oklahoma State back in 2019. So it's been a while since we've seen a team that's been this explosive in the first nine games of the season. They are also averaging eight yards after the catch. So not only will they throw it over your heads, they can throw it underneath and their receivers can create on their own. So the point will be on Texas's defense to do a great job tackling in space. The one thing Texas has done, though, they've done a pretty good job of keeping the ball in front of them. They're somewhat conservative in the back end. They're going to force the ball underneath, and they better tackle in space. But they're giving up a high percentage completion to opposing passers this year. They're giving up 65% completion rate. But they have kept the ball in front of them. The average yards per attempt or whatever is in the sevens or whatnot. So they've done a pretty good job in that regard. But the big thing, too, I think, for Texas is you got to stop the run. I think this is the best, most underrated rushing attack in college football. Like Nobody talks about Kendra Miller and what he can do. It's all about Max Duggan and the wideouts. Kendra Miller is one of two Big 12 players with 1,000 rushing yards along with his opponent in this game, Bijan Robinson. But how much do you hear about Bijan Robinson relative to how much you hear about Kendra Miller? Okay, we know Bijan's unbelievable. He's the only player in the FBS with 850 rushing yards, 250 receiving yards. The guy is ridiculous and is a huge, huge component of this offense being successful. He'll be the featured guy in this game again. Hopefully, Quinn Ewers who's pretty good off play action and is pretty good when he gets good protection. If they can give him good protection, he'll be able to take advantage of some favorable matchups in the back end because you know TCU is going to sell out against the run. How could you not, knowing just how good Bijan Robinson's been all season long? We'll wrap this up by discussing an X factor. And how much do these usually matter? it's it's open for interpretation. Like some people view them as very, very important. I, for one, in normal circumstances would tell you people that won't see the field have an impact on the game, but not a massive impact on the game. Okay, it's the, really the guys on the field, the guys calling the plays, et cetera, that are the ones that are really going to have an impact on this game. Well, guess who's not calling the plays, but might know TCU pretty well. His name's Gary Patterson. He's on that staff. He's been on that staff all year long and has been credited with being the architect of some really terrific defensive plans, including the one against Alabama earlier this season. If you look at what Gary Patterson did at TCU over the course of multiple decades, the guy won 11 plus games in 10 different seasons. Okay. That is unbelievable. I mean, it really is. That is unbelievable from his first year in 2001, through his last full season in 2020, 11-plus wins in 10 different seasons. That's remarkable. And we all know that he left midway through last year. But he's going to be, I think, one of the guys that is going to be credited probably behind the scenes because you know this one means a little bit more to him. He was unceremoniously let go in the middle of last year. The Texas players love him. And I would imagine, knowing GP... He's probably spent a little extra time on this one, knowing it means just a little bit more. And he's seen this offense so many different times. And Sonny Dykes was on his staff after he was let go from Cal for a year. So he knows Sonny Dykes and he knows his tendencies. So he could be an X factor in this game. I like the Texas Longhorns to shock the world and pull it off. I think they're the more physical team. And I think in a game like this, like last week taught us when Tennessee went to Georgia. The more physical team ultimately won the game. Now, Texas is not Georgia, 
They're not. Texas is not Georgia. Texas is not even close to Georgia, but they do have a slight advantage in regards to physicality in this game. And when it's tight and it's almost indecipherable between the two teams, give me the team that's slightly more physical as opposed to the team that's a little bit more about the sizzle. Give me Texas. I think they win, but I think they win close. McElroy, what would this do for a Texas fan base in the school? They haven't beaten a top five team in the regular season since 2010. They beat Nebraska. So if like they pull this off, what's that going to do for the psyche of the, the school and the program? Uh, I think if they win in convincing fashion, it'd go an awful long way. I mean, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of people that have cast doubt about Steve Sarkeesian. Not anymore. I mean, there's been progress made this year. But you remember, I mean, they're relying on a young quarterback. They're relying on some young pieces still scattered throughout this roster. So I think most people have still circled the future as to when Texas is really going to break through. But, man, they've been close. Obviously, we've documented what happened in the Alabama game. We've documented what happened in the Texas Tech game when they're up 31-17 cruising on the road, ultimately to come up short. And we've also documented what happened against Oklahoma State. I mean, they had the ball on their racket, had a couple interceptions and couldn't finish the job. If they were to get out to a big lead and they were to sit there in the third quarter feeling comfortable, looking good, dominating, and then TCU gets going and TCU ultimately wins the game, then it's like, oh, here we go again. So I think it's a little bit, if they get a big lead, can they finally do what they did against Oklahoma, do what they did against West Virginia, and absolutely punish the team that they're beating? They haven't done that yet. So it'd be significant. They haven't done that consistently yet, I might add. So I think that it'd be really nice to see a four-quarter performance from Texas, but knowing how good TCU's been at weathering the storm and then ultimately making the adjustments and then getting hot and surging ahead into the lead and into control... It makes it very difficult to think that they're a team that would be squashed at halftime and not have a chance to come back in the game. All right, moving on to another game involving teams that are ranked in the top 10 or 11. Let's go to Oxford, Mississippi. Alabama will be trying to get back on to their winning ways against one of the best teams in college football. Now, we say one of the best teams. They are one of the best teams in ranking. But it's not, just, I'm not 100% sold on Ole Miss right now. I think they're a little one-dimensional. I think they're a great run team, and they have excellent players, and they have an excellent coach, they have an excellent scheme. But this will be a really good test, I think, for Ole Miss. If they can get the win, there will be no more doubt about this team with me. They have a good win against Kentucky, but they didn't look that impressive in that game. They had a good start against LSU, but they didn't finish very good, and LSU won an absolute tear inevitably to pull away in that game. So I just want to see a 60-minute performance from Ole Miss, but we haven't seen that really against quality competition all year long. The magic number for Ole Miss is 30. You're going to say, what does that mean? So, well, if Ole Miss is wanting to pull the upset... Teams that have scored at least 30 points against Alabama are seven and six over the last five years. It's pretty wild. Now, teams that have failed to score 30 points, they are 0 and 52. Okay. Hear me when I say that. You get above 30, seven and six. If you don't get to 30, teams are 0 for 52. Okay. So, very, very important for Ole Miss to eclipse that 30-point barrier, because that is a huge number, a key number in the potential outcome of the game. Alabama's won 54 straight games on the field when holding opponents 
to less than 30 points. That's the longest active streak in the FBS and the second longest streak in the AP poll era. The only team that has a longer streak was Florida State, and that was back from 1992 to 1998. They had 61 consecutive wins. Of course, Bama's got 54. So they could cut that 54 to 57 if they can keep Ole Miss under 30, and then, of course, do so in the next two games, which is entirely plausible. They could be well on their way to surpassing Florida State, but that's a huge if. Of course, Ole Miss is an excellent offensive football team that will try to make life difficult on Alabama's defense. Ole Miss really going to score points through their run game. That's really what it comes down to. They have a dynamic rushing attack with two of the top six rushers in the SEC with Quinshawn Judkins, who's over 1,000 yards as a true freshman. The guy is phenomenal. Just a phenomenal football player, but not to be overshadowed is Zach Evans, who's got 680 yards himself. You mix in Jackson Dart, who's not a guy that's going to take the game over with his legs, but is perfectly capable. And the guy by himself averages, goodness, almost six yards a carry this year. So that trio makes up for three of the SEC's top 10 most efficient runners in the entire conference. So three of the top 10, pretty impressive when it comes to rush efficiency there on Ole Miss's team. Alabama, look, you're going against a brick wall. This team has always been excellent and will always pride themselves in stopping the run. So far this year, Alabama's allowing just 104 rushing yards a game. That's the third fewest in the SEC. The last time Alabama allowed more than 250 rushing yards in the game was to Ole Miss. That was back in 2020. They gave up 268 en route to a 63-48 win. Remember, that was John Rice Plumley and what was kind of a unique... More on John Rice Plumley again in a minute here, by the way. That was kind of a unique tempo offense that gave Alabama a little bit of fits that day. That was Lane Kiffin uh, really pulling out all the stops. That's the big thing with Ole Miss's offense is they're going to take advantage of your run fits. And if your run fits aren't good, they're going to crush you. They also use tempo to their advantage. They run a play every 20.7 seconds. It's the second fastest tempo in the FBS. Indiana is the only school that's faster. They snap it every 19.6 seconds. So Alabama's only te- seen one team that really runs with that kind of pace. Uh, that would be Tennessee. Tennessee's slightly slower than Ole Miss. Tennessee, of course, 21.5. Ole Miss, 20.7. And then, of course, the fastest in college football, Indiana, 19.6. So this will be a challenge for Alabama to communicate, especially on the road, and to line up and make sure they're lined up appropriately to stop the run with some of the counters that Ole Miss throws at you, it will be very difficult. I also think, too, Alabama's got to be really good when it comes to penalties. We know they've struggled on the road, especially with being able to communicate offensively and getting behind the sticks. They've averaged almost 13 penalties per game on the road. That's the most in the FBS this season. So you know that that's been a huge priority for Nick Saban and his staff this week. I think one thing that I've noticed, too, though, with Alabama some of the numbers for Alabama are shockingly good. You would think, man, you know, they're just not really doing a whole lot of great things right now. That's not really true. They're running the ball actually quite a bit better than you might think. On first and second down especially, they're averaging over six and a half yards a carry or right around six and a half yards a carry. That's the best in the FBS. Just on first and second down, y'all. So on first and second down, you can imagine, or at least I would imagine, Bill O'Brien's going to be committed to trying to run the football. Why? Because you have to play complementary style when playing against a team like Ole Miss. Jameer Gibbs should have a big day. Should be a very featured player in this offense. And two, I think Bryce Young 
He's a little banged up, of course. But he's still the best player on this team. But man, Jameer Gibbs is close, right? <laughs> like, I mean, that's don't get me wrong. Like, Bryce Young's the best player on this team. He's got a Heisman on his mantle. But man, Jameer Gibbs is pretty good. So I think that he's going to be a big impact player on this game. Like another guy that needs to be a huge impact player on the game for Alabama is Henry To'o Reason why, with all the tempo, with all the misdirection, with all the different looks that Lane Kiffin's going to give you where there's actual wide receivers, like they'll take uh, the wide receiver Mingo and they'll put him kind of in an off alignment and kind of move him around. They can do a lot of things out of that alignment and formation. Like they're just a very thoughtful offense and Lane Kiffin's a genius. He's a genius when it comes to uh, their their offense and and creating advantages and creating matchups. He is. He's a genius when it comes to these things. He's going to have a great plan. Henry To'o To'o has to be an extension of Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, and Nick Saban on the field. He has to communicate flawlessly, and he's got to do so in a very efficient manner. If he doesn't, then it could become tricky for them to line up and be really ready to play against some of the different looks that Ole Miss is going to throw at you. So I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I like Alabama in this game. Reason, Alabama responds beautifully after disappointment. They're actually 5-0 and against the spread. Against the spread in their last five games coming off a loss. Uh, and the defense, more often than not, has responded really well in games like this as well. The under is 7-0 and in the last seven games for Alabama coming off of a loss. So I think Alabama gets it done. And I think Alabama's defense will actually play very, very well under the circumstances against a really, really good offensive football team. All right, another game that's massive in the SEC West. LSU travels on the road for the Battle of the Boot against the Arkansas Razorbacks. LSU currently sitting atop the SEC West standings in complete control of their own destiny and route to a potential trip against Georgia in Atlanta. And this week, they could clinch their spot in the SEC championship if they win and Ole Miss loses. Of course, LSU's won five of the last six against Arkansas, but they did lose to Arkansas 16-13 just last year. The way this thing is going to be competitive, I think it's a quarterback battle. Shocking. <laughs> the quarterback thinks it's going to come down to quarterback play. Imagine that. Let's start with Jaden Daniels. In his last three games, he's been unconscious. I mean, seven passing touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns, 88.3 QBR. Those 14 touchdowns are the second most that a player's been responsible for with zero turnovers in the game in all of college football. The only one that's better is Caleb Williams. He's got 15 against zero. Jaden Daniels, 14 against zero. It's not like he's second by a whole lot either. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what type of approach Arkansas wants to bring. Do they want to heat Daniels up? Because when he's been heated up he's been great when you stop and you play back and you get a little more conservative that's when he's actually been a little bit more human when teams rush four or fewer against Jaden Daniels his QBR is just 67 he's been sacked 22 times of course a lot of those numbers coming from the Tennessee game when he was without his left tackle Will Campbell and they were a little bit of a mess up front Moving over to K.J. Jefferson. Of course, they lost last week. Arkansas played really poorly. I didn't love their plan against Liberty. I didn't think they had a great idea, and I didn't think they tried to impose their will. It was a little too little too late. Watching K.J. Jefferson, he doesn't look like he's at 100%. It's been documented. He's got a, probably a laundry list of injuries at this point, but it really comes down to whether or not he can run the football. 
KJ Jefferson's improved drastically as a thrower, and I think their weapons on the perimeter are pretty dang good. Matt Landers has come on since the BYU game. Jaden Hazelwood's been very steady all season long. Trey Knox at tight end has been excellent. Rocket Sanders is probably, if not for Kendra Miller, who we talked about a little earlier on the show with TCU, if not for him, Rocket Sanders would probably get the award for the guy that you should be talking about more that you aren't talking enough about, right? Like this guy's awesome. Rocket Sanders, phenomenal. So he's going to get plenty of touches in the game and he might ultimately be the guy that makes this whole thing go. But I do think with how LSU's linebackers have been playing the last couple of weeks, Harold Perkins, the freshman, has been ridiculous. Micah Baskerville has been phenomenal as well. Those two linebackers have been really good tracking down quarterbacks, especially on quarterback run type situations and spying the quarterback when he drops back in the normal passing situation. So you got to make sure that you can establish the line of scrimmage. You got to hand it as much as you can to Rocket Sanders and then allow KJ Jefferson to run it some as well, because that I think is the pathway to victory for Arkansas is KJ Jefferson's got to be phenomenal. I'm on the call for this one, 11 o'clock central time on ESPN. All right, moving on now to another game that is just phenomenal. I love this game this weekend. Number 25, Washington, who sits at 7-2 and two, and 4-2 four and two, quietly, 4-2 and two in the Pac-12. Now, is there a pathway for Washington to get into the Pac-12 championship game? Yes, but it's relatively slim. It can definitely happen, but uh, it's not ideal. That's for sure. Uh, if you look at Oregon, they are obviously in complete control of their own destiny. They have a really good chance that they win out to make the college football playoff. And right now, if you look at how things have gone for Oregon, man, I mean, there's not many teams in college football that are playing better than them. However, I think when you look at Washington, since college football began back in 2014, Washington is 5-1 and one in regular season college football playoff ranked games. Okay, including five straight wins. So in games, and I know it's a different regime. Kalen DeBoer hasn't been there since 2014. I I get that it's different, but Washington has fared very well in games like this. They have the second longest active streak in the FBS. The only team that's better than them in college football playoff ranked games is Clemson. They've won nine straight. So if you look at where they're at right now, this season, the Huskies are 2-0. and against AP-ranked opponents, including wins against Michigan State, and then last week against Oregon State. When you look at how Washington has played, though, on the road, they've really struggled away from Seattle. They're just 1-2, and two, and they haven't really played well. What's been interesting, though, Oregon, pretty phenomenal at home. 4-0 at home, putting up more than 50 points per game on their home field. They haven't lost at home in over four years. Okay, so now traveling to Eugene is going to be incredibly difficult, I think, for Washington. It just feels like Washington's coming back to earth a little bit after what was a really nice start to the season. Let's get to Oregon and what they have from a personnel standpoint. Bo Nix has played really well. Guys accounted for 35 touchdowns through nine games. And a couple of benchmarks right now are within reach for Bo Nix since 2004. Only three players have had 20 passing touchdowns and 15 rushing touchdowns through 10 games. That's Jalen Hurts in 2019 at Oklahoma. That's Lamar Jackson twice in 2016 and 2017. And that's Tim Tebow in 2007. So Lamar won the Heisman in 16. Tim Tebow won the Heisman in 2007. And Jalen Hurts 
finished runner-up in the Heisman in 2019. So clearly, trend looking very good right now for Bo Nix. On the Washington side, Michael Penix is really kind of going to all center around him. They've let him air it out. He's attempted second most passes in the power five. Only Will Rogers at Mississippi State in the air raid has thrown the ball more. Of course, he's played great, I might add. Penix has. He's really played well. He's one of just two players in the FBS with 20 touchdown passes and five or fewer sacks. So he's evading pressure. He's getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And I think he is in a position to potentially give Washington the firepower to get things done. Ultimately, if the game were in Seattle, I might lean towards Washington, but it's not. It's in Eugene. Give me the Ducks. I think they take care of business on Saturday and continue their ascent, the redemption tour after the week one letdown against Georgia. All right, finally, as far as our big game breakdowns are concerned, this one, winner, might be going to the New Year's Six. It's UCF on the road at Tulane. John Rice Plumley had to miss last week's game against Memphis, had a concussion, and when he's been on the mark, though, he's really been good. He's averaging 67 rushing yards a game. Can Tulane's defense, which has been very solid this year, can they keep him in Check. I also think, too, when you look at Tulane, man, that's a very underappreciated group. I think Willie Fritz does a phenomenally good job, a phenomenal job. And why he isn't getting, I might just a quick side note for those of you Tulane fans that are watching this breakdown, I apologize in advance. How is it that we continue and always seem to talk about, oh, well, you know, uh, look at what Jamie Chadwell is doing. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, like he should get a job. He should 100% get a job in the Power Five. Well, why is it that nobody ever talks about Willie Fritz in the same light? Willie Fritz is one, has been there has shown the ability to bounce back, has shown the ability to evolve and change and modify his offense as he sees fit. So tremendous amount of respect for him, tremendous amount of respect for the program that they've built and for the bounce back that they've shown this year. When you look at UCF, their offense is going to be run first. Gus Malzahn, there's no secret what he wants to try to do. He wants to run the football. They have two excellent backs in Isaiah Bowser and Harvey. And then, of course, the aforementioned Plumley is the third piece of the equation when it comes to trying to run the football. If you actually look at RJ Harvey, he's averaging nearly seven and a half yards a carry. That's the third most in the FBS with a minimum of 70 rushes. There's only couple guys in front of him, and only one you probably know, and that's Zach Charbonnet, who at UCLA is averaging seven and a half as well. It's an excellent, excellent dynamic trio of rushers for the UCF Knights. When you look on the other side, too, Tulane has really been good on the defensive side of the football. They're allowing opponents to score less than 17 points per game. It's 11th fewest in the FBS. You might be surprised to find out that UCF actually defensively I just told you Tulane's 11th fewest points given up in college football. UCF sitting there at 16th. They've been very good on that side of the ball. Just 18.8 points per game given up to the opponent. So this should be actually a game where you're probably thinking, thinking man, it's going to be a track meet. It's group five. It's UCF. Not so fast, my friend. This might be a little bit more ground and pound, a little bit more physical, a little bit more ball control. 
not that they're not going to run tempo. UCF's going to run some tempo. There's no doubt about that. And UCF's been pretty good at times in the second half of football games this year. So ultimately, should be one heck of a game. I was originally early in the week leaning towards UCF, but the more I read, the more I study, the more I'm trying to get in line with this game, I'm actually leaning towards Tulane. I think they have a really solid combination of backs. I think they have a f- pretty physical offensive and defensive line. And I think they have the magic this year. And given the fact that it's also going to be played in New Orleans, give me the green wave to protect the home field and to get things done and potentially punch their ticket to the American Championship game. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, still so many games that we want to get to, so let's do what we always do to try to hit and navigate through some of the rest of the games. Let's get to questions we want answered. All right, first one in the Big Ten. Will Illinois bounce back this week against Purdue and boost the Big Ten strength of schedule? Well, if you look at the Big Ten West right now, it's a complete mess. Right. I mean, <laughs> Illinois, after having lost to both Indiana and Michigan State, they're they're kind of in a position where it's like, man, what is going on in this division? And this game very much could have a huge indicator in who represents the West in the Big Ten championship game. Right now, the Illini, they have a 64 percent chance, according to the simulations. Right. Like, I, I don't know how these simulations work, but they tell me that they have a 64 percent chance of basically two out of three to get to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship. What does that mean? Nothing. Especially when you look at the fact that Illinois are 2-9 and nine in their last 11 meetings against Purdue, having lost five straight. The good news for Illinois, they've been excellent on the defensive side of the football. Do you realize that nobody has allowed fewer points than Illinois this year? That's right. They've allowed 94 points. There are only two FBS teams that have yet to surrender 100 points a season. Illinois won at 94. Guess who's two? The Georgia Bulldogs. I'm sure you're not that surprised when taking that into account. The Boilermakers have 14 outright wins as an underdog since Jeff Brom took over in 2017. The only coach with more outright wins as an underdog is Rick Stockstill, who became the head coach at Middle Tennessee State in 2006. So 11 more years in which Rick Stockstill was the head coach at Middle Tennessee State than what Jeff Brom has experienced, and yet they have the same. I mean, well, not the same, but close to the same. He's got 14 outright wins, Brom does. Stockstill's got 16. So not many teams have done a better job of 
being the spoiler in a second like this. However, the offense, I feel like at Purdue, is a little bit stagnant. I'm going to lean towards the defense in this one. I think Illinois gets back on track. Remember, Purdue's run defense is excellent. And it's going to be hard, I think, to just chip away, but I think the body blows for Illinois will eventually take their toll, and they'll eventually get this thing done in what should be a very low-scoring affair. All right, staying in the Big Ten, will Blake Corum separate himself from others other players and make a Heisman push starting this week against Nebraska. See, I don't think the Heisman moment's going to necessarily come against Nebraska. Not when it's a, you know, 29 point spread. It's the second most uh, that Nebraska's ever had um, since the FBS split. They were a 30 point underdog in 2004 against Oklahoma. Remember that Oklahoma team was Jason White and, you know, all world Oklahoma team, Michigan right now, they might very well be on, path to a national championship national playoff berth that might very well happen but Blake Corum if he's going to win the Heisman it's going to happen not this week but the next week and the week after that Illinois potentially if the victorious this week they'll be ranked of course they'll be probably the biggest television audience of the college football season when Ohio State and Michigan tee it up just a couple weeks from now so I think Blake Corum's Heisman push is ultimately going to come in the next couple weeks and then potentially in the Big Ten championship Probably not in a game in which there will be eyeballs, but probably not going to captivate an audience. Not when it's a four-touchdown margin projected right now by the odds makers. One interesting note about this game, and I had just forgotten this, Michigan's looking to go 10-0 for the first time under Jim Harbaugh. Now, they've had some great, great years, right? Some great teams, and Jim Harbaugh's been a phenomenal coach. Um, whether it be, you know, gosh, dating back to his time at Stanford or dating back to his time when he got to Michigan. He's been a phenomenal coach. This will be potentially his first, if victorious this weekend, his first 10-0 start at Michigan and his first 10-0 start since 2006. Where do you think he was the head coach of in 2006? That'd be the University of San Diego. I believe they're the Toros. I don't know. I, I think they are. But either way, it's been a while since Harbaugh's been 10-0. If victorious this weekend, they get to that huge plateau. By the way, keep an eye out for the Nebraska curse. Every team that's beaten Nebraska this year has gone on to lose the week after. See what happens with Minnesota this week. And if Michigan wins next week, Illinois, just say. Everyone just peaks when they, everyone wants to peak at Nebraska and then they fall off. You know, like Nebraska is just such a standard in college football. You just want to peak there. And then, you know, if you come up short or if you win, you just fall off a cliff, right? You just sell it's out. A weird, for it's a weird thing this year. I don't know why, but just keep an eye out. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. All right. Can Clemson rebound against Louisville after getting absolutely destroyed by Notre Dame? Like the big thing for Clemson is they have to keep a clean sheet as far as turnovers are concerned. If you look at Illinois, man, they've been very sound on defense and have been great winning the turnover battle during this four-game win streak. All right. Kind of left for dead, Satterfield and them. It's like, ah, they're not really getting it done. Well, next thing you know, man, the faucet opens up and now they just I mean, turnovers are just falling into their lap. They forced an FBS high 15 turnovers and posted a plus 10 turnover margin over the last four weeks. They also have 52 points off turnovers, which are the most in the FBS over that span as well. This is the largest underdogs they've been all season, by the way. Seven point dog on the road at Clemson, five and two against the spread as an underdog of seven plus points since 2019 is Louisville. So I think Louisville in this spot, I think they've definitely had this one circled and 
feels like Clemson is extremely, extremely gettable after last week's performance. I'm not sold on Clemson. I don't know how you can back Clemson at this point, but ultimately Clemson has the nation's longest home winning streak. And that has to factor in in this particular case. I think Louisville can keep it close. I think Louisville will hang in there. And I think if Clemson can make sure that they have zero turnovers, they win the game. If Clemson turns it over once or twice, I think Louisville wins the game. They have to be smart and they have to run the football. That's the key. If Will Shipley can get going and that offensive line can control the line of scrimmage, then I think Clemson ultimately wins. But if they can't, man... Expect for it to be a 60-minute dogfight against a really improved Louisville team over the last few weeks. Louisville, by the way, looking for their first ever win versus Clemson in football. All right, moving on to the SEC. Will the Mississippi State offense give Georgia any problems on Saturday night in Davis-Wade? There's only been one matchup ever between Kirby Smart and Mike Leach. And that night... JT Daniels was starting quarterback for Kirby Smart, and he threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. He outdueled Will Rogers, who threw for just 336 and a touchdown. If you look at Georgia's weapons, though, they have three 100-yard receiving games this year, two by Brock Bowers, one by Kenny McIntosh. Kenny McIntosh plays running back. So I think the Bulldogs... Are, are a very Bulldogs, the Georgia Bulldogs. I guess you got to be careful in a game of Bulldogs, right? Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, they need to identify who's going to be that go-to wide receiver. Like Ladd McConkey's your deep threat. He's your big play guy. But who's going to be your down-in, down-out, reliable dude that you can get to if, for whatever reason, Brock Bowers is unavailable or if they're bracket covering him or if he just keeps having an off night, who's going to step up on the outside in the perimeter? Georgia's defense in this particular spot, they've been so good this year, y'all. I mean, so, so good this year. They've allowed a total of 16 points in their games against both Oregon and Tennessee. The Ducks and Volunteers have averaged nearly 50 points per game in the other 16 games that they've played combined. So think about that. 16 points combined against against Georgia by Tennessee and Oregon. Those two teams average nearly 50 points per game per game and the other 16 games that they've played. Mississippi State's 0-3 against the spread in their last three games, 0-6 in the last six games against AP top five teams. It's not a good matchup for Mississippi State. I know we're going to talk a little bit about how, well, you know, Mississippi State, you know, they're just going to dink and dunk their way down the field. Georgia doesn't really subscribe to that theory, and you got to be able to get yards after catch. You might be able to catch Georgia sleepwalking a little bit, but ultimately I'm just not sold on Mississippi State's defense, giving up a bunch of yardage on the ground, and I'm just, I just don't know if they're going to be able to stop this Georgia offense. That, I think, is going to be a real challenge. I also think it's going to be higher scoring than most other people think, too. So uh, I like Georgia to take care of this, this game, but wouldn't be shocked if it's a little bit higher scoring than most people would suggest. All right, and finally, another big game in the Big 12. If TCU wins, will it be Kansas State or Baylor who takes them on in the Big 12 championship game? Well, uh, ranked underdogs versus unranked teams. Uh, Ranked underdogs, well, that'd be Kansas State in this scenario, against unranked teams are just 3-11 and straight up this year. They're 6-8 and against the spread. So Baylor is sitting right there as an unranked team that is favored. It's at their place. 
to me, it's hard to go against Kansas State. I have a ton of respect for this program. Last week, I thought was a little bit of a unique situation, but I think that Kansas State team is better than what we witnessed last week. Meanwhile, Baylor, I don't feel like we've paid much attention to them in quite a while. Like This might be that opportunity to be like, hey, man, we're still here. I like Baylor in the game. And it's, it doesn't feel good to say that, but I like Baylor in the game. I think Kansas State last week got a little bit exposed, and I think Baylor is just sound enough defensively to make life a little bit difficult for the Kansas State offense. So that's the direction I lean when evaluating what is a pivotal Big 12 contest, knowing that the winner of this one might have the inside track, and Kansas State might have the inside track to the Big 12 championship if victorious. All right, a couple other things we want to hit before we put a bow on what's been a great week here on Always College Football. Referenced earlier, there's some massive spreads. Massive spreads involving some of the top teams in college football. Indiana and Ohio State. Ohio State is a 40-point favorite. As of right now, this instance, they are a 40-point favorite. Well, Indiana is 6-0 against the spread in the last six games against Ohio State. They're the only team Ohio State hasn't covered against at home since 2011. So take with that what you will. I, for one, after how Ohio State played last week, they would not want, I would not want to be on the opposing sideline. Just say that. I think they're going to be hot. I think they're going to be angry. And I think they're going to come out and flex this weekend. UCLA, a team that's painfully underranked. The fact that they're 12 is absurd. I mean, absolutely absurd. This committee, I digress. We'll get to it. All right. Zach Charbonnet didn't play last week but he watched his team rush for a cool 402 against Arizona State. If for whatever reason Charbonnet can't go, and I don't think he will, look for Kaz Allen to kind of step up in his absence, and he'll be great because Kaz Allen is great. But there's something to be mindful of. Zach Charbonnet, you're going to look at that number with UCLA and say, whoa, whoa hang on a second, whoa, that's, a, that's not enough points. Well, be careful, especially without Zach Charbonnet. Might not be... You know, might not be enough. I mean, I think that this Arizona team is pretty dangerous. It could score some points. And UCLA's defense has been a little leaky from time to time. So be a little careful with that one. Florida State on the road at Syracuse. Trey Benson ran for 128 last week. That was a career high in their win against Miami. During Syracuse's three-game losing streak, they're allowing an ACC worst 233 rushing yards a game. I would normally look in this situation. I'd say, well, Syracuse, man... You're buying low on Syracuse. Florida State's been riding high. You're going to be in the Carrier Dome slash JMA Fieldhouse, uh, JMA Arena, whatever it is, JMA. Focus on JMA, not the Carrier Dome. JMA Dome or whatever. JMA Wireless Dome, whatever it is, all right? JMA paid good, hard money for the naming rights of that deal, and we're going to give them their due because it's a, it's a, the building's actually awesome, I might add. But I do think this is going to be a tricky spot for Florida State. You're going to a spot where this team is kind of, everyone's now saying, oh, they're kind of back to earth. I do think Florida State, they're not really a physically imposing team. Florida State gets by on some misdirection and gets by on some counters and gets by on just really, really good coaching. But they can't just mow you over. The problems that Syracuse has experienced the last couple of weeks are against teams that can just flat out mow you over. That's Clemson. That's Notre Dame. Be careful here laying north of a touchdown with the Seminoles. That's all I'm saying there. The other thing I'd say, North Carolina Wake Forest, when these two teams squared off last year, the total was 78. That's about where it's at right now. That was the highest total involving a 
uh, two ACC teams in the last 15 years, well, it ended with 113 total points. That was the seventh most points in a game involving at least one ACC team ever. Sam Hartman's trying to bounce back three touchdowns, six picks in the last two games, had thrown for 21 against just three picks in the first seven games of the year, has never thrown multiple interceptions in three straight games. I expect him to have his best performance since the Clemson game. I think he has to. His team absolutely needs it. Wake Forest is 10-3 and three against the spread against AP top 15 teams since 2015. I like the Demon Deacons to get it done against the Tar Heels, shockingly. I'm not sure a lot of people will be on the Demon Deacons. I like the Demon Deacons as a favorite working against the ranked, 15th ranked North Carolina Tar Heels. And then finally, the best nugget on the board, UConn. They have covered in six straight. That is the longest active streak in college football. Right, we really appreciate you being with us. By the way, go puppies, man. Puppies playing Liberty this weekend. Maybe Liberty has a flat spot. Just beat Arkansas last week. 14-point dog or so, give or take. Maybe the puppies can make some magic. We'll see. All right. Good luck, UConn. Good luck, Jim Moore Jr. And good luck to everybody that follows the Huskies. For all of us here at Always College Football, what a great week it's been. We so appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. helps the show out. Tell your friends, too, because the word of mouth has been significant. We can't tell you how much we appreciate the word of mouth and you just telling your friends that we're talking games, we're talking matchups. We're not going to just hover over two or three teams. We're going to try to talk about everybody. All right, We're going to touch every corner of the college football world as best we can in the five or so hours that we're with you throughout the course of each and every week. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a phenomenal day and a phenomenal weekend. We'll see you on Monday. And remember, it's always college football.